You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. If you would please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. This morning and this evening, we will be spending our time in verses 18 to 23. Matthew chapter 13, we read beginning with the 18th verse, and we will read to verse 23. Jesus said this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let's ask our God's blessing on the time of His Word together this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for the privilege of being here this morning. Thank You, Lord, for the the wonder of public worship, the joy that we know, the grace that we receive, the blessing that we're conscious of as we read Your Word and pray together and sing songs of praise together to the God who has rescued our lives as we hear testimonies of deliverance and salvation. These are wondrous things, and I pray that we would never take for granted these days in which we are privileged to witness these things and hear these things. And I pray that we would not take lightly the condition of our own soul Each one hearing me this day, Lord, either they are yours or they are not. Either they are citizens of your kingdom or they are not. Either they are on their way to heaven or they are on their way to everlasting damnation. There could be nothing more weighty than what is represented in this time when your word goes forth. We thank you that you're at work in your church. We thank you that what takes place through the ministry of the Word of God is nothing less than the power of God on display. Lord, I pray that we would now worship together around the proclamation of Your Word in a way that is reverent, that is alert, that is engaged, that, Lord, those who have ears to hear would hear. And even as we heard testified this morning, We thank you that you're able to open ears that are not yet open, open hearts that have been closed, open eyes that have been blind. Would you save even as your church is edified this day? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
the parable of the soils. Look, if you would, at verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and were yielding a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? This morning we consider the explanation that Jesus gave to his disciples concerning that parable. This entire section has to do with what we can expect until Jesus comes again. This specific parable having to do with the preaching of the Word of God, the declaration of the Word of the kingdom, has to do with what we can expect until our Lord returns when it comes to the ministry of the Word of God. As we declare the wonders of the king and his kingdom, as we declare the good news of how someone comes to know the king and to enter his kingdom, the question is, what kinds of responses will we meet with? That's what he's teaching his disciples about. Remember, he is, he is unveiling mysteries of the kingdom, things that have to do with the kingdom of God that you can see in veiled fashion in the Old Testament, but now Christ is unveiling these truths and making them plain for His disciples. And those truths have to do with the rejection of the King. This this is what His disciples didn't expect, that He would be rejected, that He would be crucified, that He would die, and then be buried, and then be raised from the dead three three days later. These truths concerning the kingdom have to do with the fact that the King is going to be rejected by his own people. But through that rejection, what is going to be accomplished is the outworking of God's saving plan, which is an eternal plan. And so our Lord's teaching has to do with the word of that kingdom, the word of the gospel, the word of salvation, as the plan is being fulfilled. This age in which we're living between the first coming of the Messiah and the second coming of Messiah. What is the ministry of the Word going to look like during this age? Now, this is an important question. This parable we're going to examine raises an important question on two levels. One, it is an opportunity for self-examination. Four different kinds of soils are presented in this parable. We're going to look at two of them this morning, come back and look at the other two tonight. The question is, which of these soils is represented in your life. Which of these four soils, I'm convinced only one represents salvation, the final one. The other three represent people who don't know Jesus. Which of these four soils speaks of your own spiritual condition? That's one way that this parable serves us, but the other way has to do with our ministry expectations. 
So as, as we all go out as ambassadors of Christ, as we all go out as ministers of reconciliation, and we're sharing the word of the kingdom, the word of the king, the word of the gospel, the word of salvation, what will we meet with during this age in which we're waiting for the return of Christ? What does the preaching of the gospel result in? So that not only do we have an opportunity for self-examination, but for setting a, a right sense of self-expectation. What can I expect as I share the Word of God? Matthew Henry put it simply, and he put it well when he wrote this. The seed sown is the Word of God. Here called the Word of the Kingdom, the Kingdom of Heaven. The Gospel comes from that Kingdom and conducts to that Kingdom. The word of the gospel is the word of the kingdom. It is the word of the king. And where that is, there is power. It is a law by which we must be ruled and governed. Let me just stop there. What he's saying is when, when someone receives the gospel and they are saved, they come under now the authority of Scripture, under the authority of that message. You don't just receive Jesus as Savior but you recognize that He is the Lord. And so He has not just rescued your life, He now rules over your life. And that is a rule that you receive joyfully, willingly, something you struggle against. It is a law by which we must be ruled and governed. This Word is the seed sown, which seems a dead, dry thing but all the product is virtually in it. You look at seed that's being sown, and you just see seed. You don't see the crop, but the power of the crop is in the seed. And so the Word of God goes forth, and to some it just seems ordinary, but the power of what it produces is in it. He says, it seems a dead, dry thing, but all the product is virtually in it. It is incorruptible seed, 1 Peter 1.23, it is the gospel that brings forth fruit in souls, Colossians 1, 5 and 6. We've seen evidence of that in this very worship service, haven't we? As we heard the two baptism testimonies, two sisters suffering under false doctrine, suffering under a false gospel, until he watched a video in which the true gospel was given and the false gospel was exposed. And now they stood before us this day and followed Jesus in baptism, two women who are now new creation. See, that's the power of the Word of God. First Peter 1.23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is the instrument that God uses as He brings new life into being. Colossians 1.5 says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. It also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. The word of God traveling throughout the world, producing fruit. So this morning we consider four kinds of hearers as the Word of God goes forth in this age in which we're waiting for the return of Christ. Four kinds of hearers we're going to meet with 
while we wait for Jesus to return and as his word goes forth. I just want to remind you before we look at these four soils that there's a real change that has occurred in Matthew chapter 13. Now for the first time, Jesus is preaching and teaching to the crowds almost exclusively in parables. His disciples recognized this. In the 10th verse, the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? This is a shift. This is something different. And when you go down to verse 34, it says, all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he was not speaking to them without a parable. What was happening is the crowds were hearing the parables without explanation, without interpretation. And then the disciples would come to Jesus privately, and there they received graciously, mercifully, they received the explanation for the parables. We must not underestimate that in the form of teaching Jesus is doing, not only do you see grace on display, the disciples who have received are given more, but you see judgment on display. Because while hearing, they would not hear. They're hearing truth in parabolic form, but they can't recognize it. And that was judgment for the fact that they've rejected what they were given in plain terms. What you were given in plain terms, you didn't want. So now you're going to be given the truth in terms that are not plain. And this is a token of judgment. John MacArthur said, a parable without explanation is a riddle. And he's exactly right. That's what it is to hear a parable with no explanation. Now, what we have to be careful is we've heard these parables so many times, most of us. We've heard the explanations so many times. As soon as we hear the parable, we are already thinking in terms of its meaning that has been explained to us. But imagine hearing that story for the first time, a sower and seed and soils. I mean, what does it mean? You would not have known. The disciples didn't know until Jesus explained it to them. So you have judgment and grace on display. Judgment toward those who would not receive the plainly spoken word of God. Grace to those who did receive, and therefore they receive more grace. They receive the explanations. It's a good warning, even to this day for us, to remember that when you meet with the word of God clearly explained, you should embrace it. You should believe it. You should submit to it. You should embrace it because you don't know that you'll ever have that opportunity again. You may presume that you will, but there's no guarantee that you will. All opportunities are not equal. Spiritual opportunities come and go. And so when, when you meet with the Word of God, recognize the Word of God says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to trust in Christ. Today is the day to believe what God has given you in His Word. This is the day. You might not have another day. Four kinds of hearers. The first one we see in verses 18 and 19. Look there with me again. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Let me pause for a moment and remind us, just given those words, that this is what the Word of God is always aiming at. It is aiming at your heart. 
It is not to be heard in a way that you're just simply adding information to your database. It's not, let me remember one more thing that I can regurgitate later so that I can demonstrate how much I know. The Word of God is sown in hearts, which includes the mind, but it includes more than just the mind. It is man in his inner self. It is aimed at taking root in your soul. That's the purpose of the declaration of the Word of God. So here is someone who hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, And the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. So using the parable, using the analogy, you have the sower sowing, right? He's prepared a field. Rows have been prepared. Uh, In that field, there there are various conditions represented. Uh, People traveled throughout these fields, and so there were beaten down places that were roads, so that they would have access to the fields and access to getting beyond the fields to other places. And some of the seed that's being being distributed falls on those pathways that are like concrete, and the seed doesn't penetrate. And Jesus is explaining, by means of that analogy, what kind of hearer we will sometimes meet with in this age in which we're waiting on Jesus, what kind of hearer we're going to meet with as we preach God's Word. Before we we consider that, though, I want you to notice those first two words of verse 18. Very instructive for all of us in this room when he says, Hear then. That's an imperative. Hear then. He's saying it to his disciples. Hear then. The parable of the sower. What you don't see in the English translations is that sentence in Greek is fronted with the word humes. Second person plural personal pronoun. You could translate it this way. You, therefore, listen. You, therefore, listen. It's very personal. And it comes on the heels of verses 16 and 17. Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes... After describing the judgment on unbelieving Israel, he now says something to believing Israelites, his disciples. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's saying to his disciples, do you understand what you're involved with? You're actually witnessing and hearing the fulfillment of Old Testament promise that godly people throughout the generations long for, greatly desired. You're here seeing it, hearing it, experiencing it. So you, therefore, listen. It's a great reminder that having received the Word of God by the grace of God, we have a responsibility to go on hearing the Word of God. God has opened your ears. He has opened your eyes. He has given you access to this Word that we're going to see three kinds of hearers really don't have access to. God has opened your ears. He has given you eyes to see what kind then of responsibility belongs to us who've, who've experienced the grace of God to go on in the grace of God. If you 
have access to God's Word, you should have an ever-increasing hunger for God's Word. Most of you here this morning would say, yes, I'm one of those that God has opened my eyes and opened my ears and given me access to Scripture. Then I want to ask you, what is your hunger level like? What kind of appetite do you have for it? And what our Lord would say to you, sitting right where you are this morning, is you, therefore, listen. Listen to the Word of God. This is the hearer. Verse 19 represents the hearer who hears, but he doesn't understand. There's a kind of person who hears, kind of man, kind of woman, who hears the word of the kingdom, but does not understand it. Suniemi is the word for understand there. The lexicon has this, to have an intelligent grasp of something that challenges one's thinking or practice. It is to have a grasp on a message that actually challenges you, speaks to you, makes a difference to you, which is to say you comprehend it. You haven't just heard it and recorded it. You grasped it. The kind of people Jesus describes in verse 19 are people who hear the Word, but they don't grasp it. They don't comprehend its true meaning, its true significance. They're not challenged by it. It can be manifested in a couple of different ways. Sometimes someone will hear what you have heard and grown to love, and they'll walk away and say, I just don't know what he was talking about. What was he talking about? And in many cases, that's because they're not really paying attention. You ever tried to follow someone's conversation when you're zooming in and zooming out and you get to the end of it and other people around the table have understood what he's talking about, but you haven't because you weren't half listening? That's what happens sometimes in the preaching of the Word of God. People go, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. Well, you weren't even listening. I mean, you weren't locked in. You weren't tuned in. You weren't paying attention. It's no surprise then when you walk away and it really has no meaning to you. You weren't listening. And so sometimes they don't understand the word because they're not really interested enough to, to lock in and listen. I think about this right now, I'm virtually certain there's someone in this room thumbing through your phone. Someone that, you know, you got your iPad open to pretend you're looking at the Bible, but you're checking your Twitter feed or your Facebook page, whatever the case may be, shopping maybe, I, I don't know. But you're not listening. And so there's a kind of person who just doesn't even have enough interest to listen well. But there's another kind of person, they hear it, they understand it intellectually, they could tell you what they heard. Some of these people could even explain it, perhaps better than you could. They just don't care about it. They are not challenged by the message, they're not arrested by the message, they're not engaged with the message because they're not really interested in it. Sooner or later, every believer is going to meet with this kind of person. The things we're talking about this morning are things that thrill your soul, things that you love. The Lord has changed your life. And so what's going to happen is somebody you care about, someone you care about their soul, you care about their eternal destiny, you're going to say to them, would you come to church with me? 
Would you listen to this sermon? Would you watch this video as we heard about this morning? Would you read this book that has really made a difference in my life? And some of those people will actually take you up on it. They will attend the church service with you. They will watch the video. They will listen to the sermon. They will read the book, and then they're going to yawn and not be able to identify at all with how you feel about it. Because they meet with the very same truth, and it doesn't move them at all. They don't understand it. You see, there's not understanding it on the intellectual level. There's, then there's not understanding it in terms of its profundity, in terms of its weightiness. They, they don't meet with what it really represents. And so they find you strange. Why do you spend so much time and so much effort investing in something that really is, you know, mythological or fairy tale or just doesn't really affect me the way it does you. We could state it this way. They hear the Word of God, but nothing would have changed. Nothing would be any different if they had never heard it. I mean, it's as if they never heard it. So this is someone who hears, but they don't understand. Jesus also tells us that what they hear is then snatched away. They lose it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one. Another example of Jesus giving us access into a world we would never know by just observing. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. They lose it taken away from them. It doesn't go on entering their thinking. They walk away from it and it's forgotten. It doesn't go on operating in their conscience. I mean, you hear the Word of God and sometimes a week later, what you heard is still operating in your mind, operating in your conscience, but not this person. It doesn't change anything about their life. The Word of God, you see, it doesn't penetrate. Their heart is hard. It's like concrete. It doesn't take any kind of root. It's like it bounces off of them. And what Jesus tells us that we would have never known otherwise is there's also a thief at work. There's that which is true of the sinner, and the sinner is completely responsible for it his or her hard heart. But at the same time, there's a spiritual enemy at work on top of that person's own blindness. The enemy is at work keeping them blinded, stealing the seed away from them. In other words, there's a supernatural element of this that we tend to not think enough about. Did you know you have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, who doesn't want you to receive the Word of God? Do you know he's a murderer? Do you know he's a liar? He doesn't want you to hear and know the truth. He doesn't want you to act on it. He would be gleeful to see you in hell. And his nature is on display in the way that he's described. The evil one comes. He's evil snatches it away. 
2 Corinthians 4.3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Your blindness explained by his initial work, the fall in the garden, but he's at work in this very day and age on behalf of maintaining that blindness. Wants to keep you in the dark. Now, church, listen, if we recognize what Jesus just said, that where the Word of God is going forth, we are meeting with supernatural, unseen realities, then something that must characterize a faithful church is intercession. Are you praying for people to hear and receive the Word of God? Are you praying for eyes to be open, ears to be open, hearts to be open, for the seed of God's Word to penetrate and produce its fruit? Do you realize we're in a war? And that human weaponry is not sufficient for it? So that you have a a word-loving church that is also a prayer-warring church. Loving the Word of God, praying for the reception of the Word of God, praying for the work of the Word of God, praying for the spread of the Word of God, praying for the success of the Word of God. Is that this church? Are we praying for these times in which we meet together? Do we recognize the supernatural realities at work as the Word of God goes forth so that we are an interceding church? And are you praying for your own heart? I mean, you come into the place on Sunday morning, praying for your own reception of the Word of God. Lord, would you strengthen me this day to give you my full attention and to really receive as a result of what I hear? Then praying throughout the week that, that that would go on and bear good fruit in your life. Prayer is a non-negotiable for faithful ministry. You know, when, the, when the apostles, Acts chapter 6, appoint the proto-deacons, you know, deacons, I don't know if they were officially deacons, but at least they give us a picture of what deacon ministry is, that we may devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That we may devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. So the hearer who does not understand. Now notice the second soil, verses 20 and 21. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the Word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. The hearer who does not understand, we we say the careless hearer, Second, the hearer who does not endure, the temporary hearer, the hearer who does not endure, a superficial listener. Remember remember the parable, remember the imagery Jesus gave us. The first kind of soil is hard, it's like a road, it's like concrete. The second kind of soil 
is shallow. Limestone underneath what you can see on the surface. So that as the seed is sown, it begins to take root. As the roots begin to go down, they cannot penetrate the limestone beneath the shallow soil. They sprout up quickly as a result. But then when the sun comes out, there's no root system sufficient to sustain it. And it dies, goes away. Jesus says, we will meet with hearers like that. Shallow, superficial, momentary responses to the word of Christ. Notice what Jesus describes is immediate. It's swift. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It's passionate, not just immediate, but passionate. He or she receives it with joy, but it is temporary. Think for a moment about that joyful reception of the Word of God. Wow! That's great. It affects my life. I hear it. I believe it. And there seems to be a change in response to it. It's passionate. But it's natural. If it were not a natural reaction, if it was a supernatural response to the Word of God, it would continue. But the proof that this is just a natural reaction is that it doesn't continue. Did you know it is possible for human beings, natural human beings, unregenerate human beings, lost human beings, to have a response to the preaching of Scripture that appears to be salvific when it isn't? It appears to be supernatural, but it's natural. It appears to be that which will stand the test of eternity, but it will only stand the test of a portion of time. It's possible for someone to, if I could put it this way, lose interest in the gospel, lose interest in the Word of God, lose interest in the church, no longer willing to be committed to what they've professed to be committed to. An immediate, joyful response to the declaration of God's Word is not a final evidence that the gospel has taken root in a life. If that's how you judge salvation, look at that immediate response. You're going to be misled. Because that's not the final evidence. And if you stop and think about it, you see this capacity in human beings, in us, in all sorts of realms, temporary zeal, temporary excitement, temporary joy, temporary commitment. You see this in human relationships. This is why our world is so full of divorce. Because you have two people who quote unquote fall in love. By the way, if you think in terms of falling in love, you need to look at your Bible again. Because love is something much more than just an emotion. That sense of, of excitement and all of this is not what genuine love is. And so we see it, don't we? We see people who love the experience of the inception of a relationship. They look at Hollywood, you have, you have three, four, five, six, seven marriages. These people are addicted 
to that initial feeling someone gets when they begin a relationship. But what they don't have is the staying power of genuine love. And so when that wears off, they're out. Because at the center of their life is not God and His glory and the good of another person, the privilege of investing good in another person's life. What is at the center of their world is them. And when it ceases to serve them, they're out. And so it is with false Christianity. We heard it in the testimony this morning. This is how you have a good life. This is how you stay healthy. This is how you can be prosperous. You see, at the center of a false gospel is man, not God. And so you see this temporary zeal in in relationships. You can even see this in, in meaningless things like hobbies. Temporary zeal, temporary commitment. For a time, it's all about hunting. For a time, it's all about golf. For a time, it's all about cycling. Then before you know it, the golf clubs are in the garage. The guns are in the safe or they've been sold. The bicycle's on Craigslist or in a shed. I know this from personal experience, okay? (laughs) The bicycle is in the shed. Has been for a year. We have that capacity, don't we, as human beings, to know a sort of interest, curiosity, excitement, zeal about something that is not lasting. Weighty things we do that, like marriage. Meaningless things we do that, like hobbies. And Jesus says the same will happen as the Word of God is being preached. You're going to have people who have this initial, immediate, joyful, zealous, emotional response to the message they're hearing, but then it's going to prove to not be lasting. It's a little bit different in terms of the preaching of the Word of God because people recognize the message itself is dealing with profound things. We're talking about heaven, hell, the soul. People recognize that. So what you have is people confessing that they grasp it, they understand it, and they commit themselves to it, but they haven't really grasped it. It has not taken root in them in a way that is lasting. And so what you have eventually is a tragic defection. A tragic defection. What is represented by the sun coming up and the thing withering away? Well, he says this is what it represents. He says, they immediately receive it with joy, verse 20, yet he has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. He's off the pathway. He's outside the people of God. He walks away from what he has professed to believe. The Apostle John tells us in very clear terms how how this looks. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. You hear? It's not that they lost it. They never had it. That's why they leave. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. The defection is revelatory. The defection demonstrates what was there all along, which is the seed of the gospel had never really taken root in the person. They knew some superficial, shallow, purely human, natural response 
to what they heard. And Jesus mentions two things that tend to expose this. Two things in our world that tend to expose shallow soil. He says, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word. Shallow soil is exposed by afflictions, troubles, hard things, difficult things. We heard two sisters this morning talk about their salvation experience. Interesting that both of them talked about troubles that in the grace of God, and they both acknowledge this, right? Salvation is by grace, what's the next word? Alone. They're not explained by themselves. They're explained by God's grace. Both of them talked about troubles. And the troubles, you see, drove them to the gospel, to the Lord, to their need for salvation. What happens with shallow soil is the troubles drive them out, drive them away, drive them from the Lord, from his word, from the truth, from the church. Afflictions expose shallow soil. And one of the reasons for this is the unregenerate life is a self-centered life. So what begins to emerge in the mind are thoughts like these. If God is really good, why am I going through this? If the gospel is really true, why are my circumstances like they are? Why aren't things getting better? So the troubles begin to fill the unregenerate heart with bitter thoughts toward God. Thoughts of doubt concerning His Word. Thoughts like, I deserve better than this. I deserve better than this. God, I've, I've served you in all these ways, and now look how you've rewarded me. You see, you see writers of Scripture that were teetering right on the edge of that thinking. And because the Lord was gracious to them, He rescued them from it. One of my favorite Psalms, that's why you hear me reference it a lot, is Psalm 73, where Asaph uses that description. He says, my feet had almost slipped. I looked at the prosperity of the wicked, and I saw the suffering of the righteous, and my feet almost slipped. But he goes on to describe how the Lord brought him to a place where he perceived the end of all things and he recognized what a slippery place the wicked are standing in. The Lord rescued him from his own wicked thinking. This is what happens when the Lord has saved you. He doesn't let you live that life. He pulls you out of that kind of thinking. So there are the general afflictions that all human beings face but in the case of shallow soil, it drives them away from God, away from Christ, away from the gospel, away from the church. But then there are unique troubles that belong to the Christian life, troubles you're going to have that nobody else has. And I think I could describe it by simply saying this, how often would the lives of God's people be easier if we just gave ourselves permission to compromise Scripture? How would your life be easier if you just said, I'm just not going to obey the Bible? I don't, I don't mean easier eternally. I mean easier temporarily. 
So there are these unique troubles we face because we know what's right and what's wrong. We know the right thing to do. Now, am I willing to embrace the Word of God when the right way is the hard way? When the right way means it's going to be harder for me. I could walk away from the Word of God and it would be so much easier. But this is what's right. Does that matter to you? Has the Word of God really taken root in you? Or will you prove to be that shallow soil that the afflictions expose what's been true of you all along? The gospel never really took root in you. But then under that larger category, there's a a subcategory, a very specific kind of affliction. This also exposes shallow soil. It is when you are persecuted because of the word. Persecution arises because of the word. Now, you see, you have to suffer for what you say you believe. Now someone is going to mistreat you because of what you've said you have received and believed. Hated because of the word. Mistreated because of the word. Isolated because of the word. Maligned, slandered because of the word. All you have to do to make it stop is distance yourself from the word. Distance yourself from the gospel. Distance yourself from Christ. Distance yourself from his message. And it will stop. Only people who really believe it will suffer for it. Only people who really believe it will be persecuted for it and endure the persecution. And it's not because you're so great. It's because the work of God in your soul is so great. It's because he's done something that's real and can't be reversed. You have nowhere to go. The word has taken root in you, you see. This is the ultimate explanation for the shallow soil, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself. The absence of regeneration. The absence of the new nature. The absence of the seed of God's word taking root in a heart. It's it's not there. And so all you've seen is just a natural human response in the realm of religion, like it can happen in so many other realms. Relationships, hobbies, zeal, thrill, interest, curiosity, commitment that just won't last. When the things arise that make it cost you because Christ is not center, you are center. A hearer who doesn't care, a hearer who is superficial in the way he or she responds to the Word of God. So as we finish, let me ask you. As I said, this serves a twofold purpose. It tells us what to expect as we preach the Word until Jesus comes again. These are two kinds of hearers we're going to meet with, but it also serves for us to examine ourselves. Am I one of these two soils? Do you have a true understanding of the Word of the Kingdom? I don't mean have you just understood the gospel intellectually, I mean, has it taken hold of your life? Is the Word of God precious to you? Is the gospel of God a matter of the heart for you? Is the message of the kingdom your hope? 
your expectation. You're looking forward to the things it promises. Does it challenge your life? Does it change your life? Is it changing your life? Is it both the law for your life and the delight of your life? I mean, gospel truth rules over you. You submit to the Lord who is the Savior. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not, what? Burdensome. It's both the law of my life and the delight of my life. We keep His commandments, they're not burdensome. 1 John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Can you say, the Lord has opened your eyes, opened your ears, opened your heart so that you understand, and you've embraced Jesus for life? Do you have an understanding of the Word of the Kingdom? And then my last question is, do you have a relationship to that Word that's lasting? These are two things you're going to find again and again in the New Testament. Profoundly important. Do not underestimate this. When you find saved people, it is true to say two things of them. The Word of God abides in them, and they abide in the Word. The Word of God has been planted in their heart in a way that it does not go away. The Word of God abides in them. And they are committed to that Word in a way that it doesn't go away. So they abide in that Word. Has the Word of God taken up permanent residence in your heart? 1 John 2.13 says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you've overcome the evil. Three kinds of Christians describe their different levels of maturity. The child, the young man, the father. When he talks about the, the young men in progress, the word of God abides in you. 1 John 2.24 says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. You met with the gospel on the day you say you were saved. What you heard from the beginning, are you allowing that to abide in you? Isn't it, isn't it joyful to know we don't begin the Christian life in one kind of way and continue in another kind of way. We continue by the same principles, by the same power, by the same devotion. The day I met Jesus, I met my Lord and Savior and King. And today, 40 years later, whatever it is, I don't want to take time to count. I live by the same principle. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love him. I'm devoted to him. Infinitely short of what I want to be, 
infinitely short of what I will be, but thank God I'm not what I was. And so by the same principle that I started, I continue. And by the same principle, which is the grace of God, I will finish because he finishes what he begins. Is that your story? Is his word abiding in you? Which gets to the second point, you abide in that word. 2 John 1, 9, or 2 John 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. I want you to mark this down. Sometimes it's difficult to know which came first, you know, the chicken or the egg. But two things will be going on in the life of someone who is an apostate. Their feet will be departing from the pathway of truth. And at the same time, they will be redefining what they believe the truth is. There is doctrinal defection and there is devotional defection going on in the same life. Because the way you're going to try to justify your devotional defection is through doctrinal redefinition. I used to believe that. That's what I was committed to. But I'm living my life the way I am now because I've come to see something new. You see? I see it differently. So whoever goes on ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues, that's what the word abide speaks of, whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The the gospel will never change. The word of God will never change. And so you go on walking in what will never change. John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. So can we say there's been a change in your life at the heart level so that the word of God has taken root in you and your life has taken root in that word. That word abides in you and you abide in that word. And you abide when the afflictions come, when the trouble comes, when it would be easier to just compromise the word of God. No, you continue. And you continue when suffering for that word comes. All you have to do to to make it stop is just deny what is true, but you can't deny what is true because you have come to know that it's true in a way that you can't escape. Will your troubles drive you to the Word, or will your troubles drive you from the Word? Tonight we'll return and see two additional kinds of hearers. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for the work you've done in our souls that is real. It's not explained by us. It wasn't produced by us. It cannot be counterfeited by us in a way that doesn't eventually become exposed. Salvation is a reality, and for this we give you praise. Lord, I pray for anyone hearing my voice who is a believer in name only, but has not experienced that work of your spirit in the soul that transforms the life. Lord, would you, would you even this day bring them to the point of godly sorrow so that they would cry out to your son for life indeed. And may your church be filled with joy in recognizing and acknowledging what you've done in our souls that we could have never done for ourselves and that it will never end because what you do lasts for all eternity. You've granted us eternal life, not some sort of temporary life, but that which will stand the test of eternity. And 
For this we can claim no credit, and for this our mouths and hearts are full of praise. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us in your Son, our Lord and King, Savior, our God and Shepherd Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.